schools. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Thursday, December 21st. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. A new audit by the New York State Controller finds nursing homes still aren't fully prepared for another pandemic years after the height of COVID. I think the basic point we're making is that I think everybody would agree it was a crisis during uh, the peak of COVID. Uh, mistakes were made and we need to learn from those mistakes so we can be sure they don't get repeated. We recently asked listeners and readers to share their December photos and stories of the natural world, holiday traditions, and how they get through this very darkest part of the year. The the days are short, and the short days are gray, and it's often raining, just above freezing, and it's basically the pits uh, from, from my standpoint. Winter begins tonight, and with a change in the seasons, we invited Vermont poet David Cruz to share his thoughts and a poem. Poems help us live in the ineffable, right? They help us live in a world where we don't always have answers to things. All that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Cronin's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the southern Adirondacks. Details at cronin'sgolfresort.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. A flood warning for the Black River in Jefferson and Lewis counties remains in effect through tonight. The National Weather Service forecasts minor flooding along the river. Expected uh, impacts include farmland flooding in the flats and minor damages to riverfront and commercial properties in Dexter. Flooding affected other parts of the North Country earlier this week. Roads and schools were closed and three counties declared states of emergency. St. Lawrence University has an $11.5 million structural deficit. University President Catherine Morris told WWNY-TV that a decline in student enrollment is to blame. The highest enrollment was 2,400 students. As of this October, it was fewer than 2,100. WWNY reports that there won't be any cuts, but vacant jobs will likely go unfilled. The university will also reduce retirement plan contributions for its faculty and staff. The administration has until fiscal year 2026 to solve the financial problems. North Country Public Radio is owned by St. Lawrence University. The university had no editorial input or other role in this story. A new audit by by New York's controller finds that the state's nursing homes still aren't fully prepared for another pandemic or infectious disease outbreak. The report comes... Two and, two and a half years after a scandal surrounding thousands of nursing home deaths during COVID-19. Karen DeWitt reports. Controller Tom DiNapoli says a follow-up audit to a 2022 report by his office finds the state health department has made some improvements since the height of COVID-19 when thousands of elderly people died in the nursing homes. But he says there's still a ways to go to make up for what he calls a decade of neglect in health department funding and staffing. And what we found is that the Department of Health has made limited progress, some progress, 
but still opportunities uh, to do a lot more. Because I think the basic point we're making is that I think everybody would agree it was a crisis during uh, the peak of COVID. Uh, mistakes were made. And we need to learn from those mistakes so we can be sure they don't get repeated when, God forbid, we have whatever the next infectious outbreak will be, whatever the next COVID-like experience will be. DiNapoli says the health department is still not fully using infection control data to try to detect or identify any emerging infectious diseases and to develop plans to manage any future outbreaks. He says the audit finds data collection from the nursing homes is still lagging and that numbers, including causes of death among residents, are still inaccurate, inconsistent, and incomplete. They definitely need to be more effective in terms of the report reporting and validating the accuracy. Accurate counting of resident deaths at the height of the pandemic was at the heart of a scandal under former Governor Andrew Cuomo. State Attorney General Tish James found that the Cuomo administration had underreported deaths by 50 percent, a conclusion that was confirmed by the controller's audit last year. Critics contend a controversial March 2020 order that required nursing homes to accept COVID-positive residents back from hospitals contributed to those deaths something Cuomo and his aides deny. Former Cuomo Health Commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker recently answered questions about that decision before a U.S. House subcommittee examining pandemic policies. Governor Kathy Hochul, who became the state's chief executive in August of 2021 after Cuomo resigned, says she concurs with the controller's findings, and she blamed her predecessor for the shortcomings. Hochul says in the over two years she's been in charge, she's taken steps to improve things. I 100% agree with the controller's assessment that a decade of disinvestment in all facets of health care, whether it's uh, Medicaid reimbursements that were flattened for a decade, and I increased them to be 7.5% increase, so we have made investments. We've invested in our health care workforce. We gave bonuses to people last year. And she says she's changed the leadership at the health department and raised salaries to attract new talent at an agency she says was basically starved to death during a years-long hiring freeze imposed by the former governor. Hochul says she's working to ensure greater transparency with data so that the public knows what's going on inside the nursing homes. And she vows to do better if and when another pandemic or infectious disease outbreak hits. A lot of lessons were learned the hard way. We won't make those mistakes. Mistakes that were made in the past will not be made again, I can assure you that. Over a year ago, the governor said she was undertaking her own review of the state's management of the pandemic, including nursing home policies, emergency closures, mask mandates, and other decisions. But that report is yet to be finalized. Controller DiNapoli says families of loved ones who died during the chaos in the state's nursing homes at the height of the pandemic and who are still left wondering may never get a satisfying answer. And that's very sad and very troubling. So I don't know that we'll ever get a complete answer on on some of what happened during that crisis time, that emergency time. But he says that fact only underscores the importance of doing better if there's a next time. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The North Country's Congresswomen decried a court's decision to disqualify former President Donald Trump from Colorado's primary ballot next year. Kara Chapman has more. 
The Colorado Supreme Court ruled in a 4-3 decision that Trump cannot appear on Colorado's 2024 primary ballot. The majority says it's because he, quote, engaged in insurrection on January 6, 2021, after swearing an oath to support the U.S. Constitution. The judges say that means a clause in the 14th Amendment bars him from holding federal office. A Trump campaign spokesman said the campaign will file an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. In a statement, North Country Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, a Republican and loyal Trump ally, called the ruling un-American. She said it was an illegal attempt to take Trump off the ballot. Stefanik said, quote, this will backfire and further strengthen President Trump's winning campaign to save America. Republican Congresswoman Claudia Tenney said the ruling, quote, is a weaponization of our government and a direct attack on our democracy. Tenney chairs the all-Republican Election Integrity Caucus, whose stated goal is to ensure Americans have confidence in free, fair, accurate, and transparent elections. Tenney's campaign did not return a request for comment on whether she's made a presidential endorsement this election cycle. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio. There's a new paint recycling program in Watertown. Paint Care is a nonprofit that helps households and businesses recycle leftover paint, stain, and varnish free of charge. It now has drop-off sites at the two White's Lumber locations in Watertown and the Sherwin-Williams there. Paint Care has many other drop-off sites across the North Country. Those include locations in Malone, Saranac Lake, Plattsburgh, and Ticonderoga. And we have more information on where you can recycle unused paint and how much and what type you can drop off on our website at ncpr.org. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 10 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresky. Coming up, Vermont poet David Cruz shares a poem he wrote two winters ago to help him cope with the grief of a friend's sudden death. That conversation and poetry coming up in just a few minutes right here on Northern Light. by Caramelo Trio out of Potsdam. Broadcast of Northern Light is supported by St. Lawrence Health, whose affiliation with Rochester Regional Health means more patient access to specialty care. stlawrencehealthsystem.org Sunshine today and tomorrow. Light winds out of the northeast and highs in the 20s, near 30 today and Friday. And then cloudy skies over the weekend. Mid-December is a busy and dark time of year. We used the NCPR Texting Club to ask NCPR listeners and readers across the region to share pictures and stories of their December. 
for snow pictures, holiday traditions, what they've been doing to make light with so much darkness. You can find those photos and stories online now at ncpr.org. By the way, you can sign up for our texting club by texting the word NEW to 315-978-6277. Our texting club host and community engagement reporter Amy Fireisel is in this morning to share a few stories. Hey, Amy. Hi, Monica. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So you called a few people back to get their stories on tape. Who did you connect with? Yes. Well, the first person I called was Heather Francis in Scroon Lake. And Francis moved there about two summers ago and bought a small bed and breakfast right in town with her husband. They moved to be closer to their daughter and grandchildren. And she shared about the town's old-time Christmas celebration, which was the second weekend of December. We really enjoy Scroon Lake. It's a small town. We've um, This is our first experience in a place that's this small, but we feel a real spirit of community, and we love the fact that everyone pitches in. Our old-time Christmas celebration last weekend, everybody pitched in, either opened their homes or uh, trimmed a tree for the Festival of Tree or contributed a basket for the uh, Chamber of Commerce raffle. Their contribution was to be a warming center for the horse-drawn wagon rides organized by the Chamber of Commerce. We um, have complimentary hot cocoa, homemade cookies, some Christmas music playing, a fire in the fireplace, and they can sit and warm up and enjoy themselves here for a while. We really enjoy that. We've met a lot of wonderful townspeople that way. That sounds really cozy. Well, speaking Mm -hmm. of traditions, there are some great pictures of kids making new winter and holiday traditions. There's one of a little girl with this huge beaming smile as she looks at a Christmas tree. What's the story there? Is that not the sweetest picture? Um, David Nisley from Lauville sent that photo of his daughter, Andy, and he grew up with this family tradition of doing a sleepover next to the Christmas tree and watching movies, and he recreated it earlier this month with his daughter. And I was actually able to call and talk to Andy on the phone. Andy's mom and David's wife, Sarah, was also on the line. I was in the weather room by a Christmas tree and watched two movies. My dad got me a little toy pink elephant that I slept with. What did we have for breakfast in the morning? Do you remember? Pink and pink. Christmas pale pink. <laughs> and, and then I made the mistake of referring to Sarah as mom to Andy. And, you know, she really set me straight. No, my mommy's not mom. My, my mommy's name is Sarah, not mom. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, you can see it a little bit more cheery than that. Merry Christmas. That is very precious. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I I, honestly, I laughed and laughed and laughed listening back to our, you know, to our interview. Um, But, you know, this time of year can also be really hard for lots of people. And I spoke with Addison Bickford about that. The, The days are short and the short days are gray. And it's often raining, just above freezing, and it's basically the pits. And my, uh, from from my standpoint, Bickford lives off grid in Rainbow Lake at the end of a half mile dirt driveway. And, you know, I asked him how he gets through these dark, rainy days, and I have to say, he has a great sense of humor. Oh, uh, <laughs> one foot in front of the other. 
Um, I play music in the uh, in the evenings. Um, this is the time of year I I cut my firewood. Uh, it's nice and cool, and uh, and my chainsaw chaps instead of being hot and sweaty, uh, they feel kind of good. I could wear them to bed this time of year. This is also the time of year that Bickford will fix his maple sugaring lines. He makes about a hundred gallons a year. You know, it's just me. It's just me. Uh, I'm the boss, and I'm the employee. Uh, that's, that's the only way I can keep from getting fired. <laughs> and Bickford also said that the holidays actually do help cheer him up. His real beef is with these first couple weeks in December. Well, now, for some folks, the holidays themselves can be the hard time, especially mm-hmm. if they're far away from family or have lost a loved one. You spoke with a woman in Moira about just that. Yes, so Amber Spinner is 34 years old, and she's a music teacher in the Brushton Moira Central School District. She sent in a photo of her and her mother making a traditional fine-tuned family fudge recipe at her mom Carol's home in Malone. She actually ended up sharing that cooking is a way that they get through the holidays. I had a sister. Um, Her name was Ashley, but she passed away when I was about 22. And the three of us would make fudge and peanut butter balls for the holiday season all the time. And for a few years after she passed, we never did anything because it was difficult for us. But after quite a few years, we started doing it again. And now it It helps us get through it, too, because she passed in November, which is just basically holiday time. It's nice to connect to mom again in a safe place like making food, even though we we think about her a lot. Anyway, sorry to mean to get so emotional all of a sudden. And Spinner said I could share that clip because she knows that so many people, you know, are going through the exact same thing this time of year, missing someone. I used to say I really didn't like Christmas. Like, I hated it. But truly, honestly, it was coming from a place of sadness just because, like, I would remember so much. So I'm so happy, like, we started cooking again because I feel like it got us through it. You know what I mean? Like, you could pick up on the other side a little bit. It'd be interesting if my mom hears me say this because I've never said it to her, you know. But we feel it. We feel it. We feel it. We feel it. Yeah, that's that's very powerful. And and listeners can read these stories and see all these pictures online now, right? That's right. Um, you can see pictures of the fudge making and Andy's sleepover and the horse-drawn wagon in Scroon Lake, all at ncpr.org. Plus some just gorgeous pictures of first snowfalls and, you know, dogs hanging out by the wood stove and a really beautiful sunset in Cranberry Lake. So check them all out. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And a reminder that all of this wonderful conversation came from our texting club. If you'd like to join and help shape our news coverage, text the word NEW to 315-978-6277. That's NEW to 315-978-6277. Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Monica.
You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. In just a minute, Vermont poet David Cruz shares a seasonal poem as we transition from fall to winter today. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note, Building Birds with Legos. That's coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Flood warning continues along the Black River, primarily in the Watertown area through tonight. That's according to the National Weather Service. Elsewhere, sunshine. Highs today near 30. Light winds out of the north-northeast. Lows dipping down to near 10 above tonight. More sunshine tomorrow. And then cloudy skies for Saturday and Sunday. At this point, partly cloudy for Christmas Day. Highs over the weekend in the 30s near 40 with nighttime lows around 20. Right now, 17 degrees and sunny here in Canton. For some, the winter solstice is a time of the year for reflection, meditation, and looking inward. Poet David Cruz lives and works on a vegetable farm in Vermont, which gives him a greater appreciation for living close to the land, the environment, and the seasons. Cruz shares a poem with us occasionally that often reflects the landscape and what's happening around him. Sometimes, he says, poet as an art form connects us to the human experience, even if we as readers don't know the whole backstory. For this winter season, David chose to share a poem with a little more emotional weight to it. In The Coyote, he reflects on concurrent events a couple of winters ago, seeing a coyote trapped within the fence line of the farmer's property and hearing the news of a former lover's unexpected death. He says the poem was equally unexpected. Poems help us live in the ineffable, right? They help us live in a world where we don't always have answers to things. All of this stuff really got me thinking more so recently about the beauty of poems and perhaps why we need poems in our lives, you know? It just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I did not expect to write this poem. And Todd, I did not expect to write... uh, Pantoum, which is, you know, I consider this poem a sort of loose pantoum. Um, it's a very specific form and it, it's complicated to write. I tried to write one years ago and it, and I, it was, it was not good. <laughs> and, uh, but this one just sort of came out, uh, and, and in this form, which, you know, a pantoum, just briefly, a pantoum has a rhyme scheme and it almost sounds as if it has these repeating lines that sort of, in my mind, sort of cascade backwards through the poem. It's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, it definitely has a certain feel and, and sound to it. So what happened was you got a phone call. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you kind of pick up the story from there. Yeah. So two years ago, I get a phone call from the mother of my college girlfriend. And so it was one of those reaching outs that, you know, immediately sort of put a little tension in my heart, you know, and in my stomach. I knew something was coming. And I find out that earlier that week, she was in her bathroom getting ready to go out with friends. And she passed out and she died of cardiac arrest. And uh, she was 42 years old. Of course, her mother was just distraught with grief. And we had spoken on the phone for about a half hour and her mother told me that she had always, you know, kept me close and had had fond feelings for me. So, you know, her mother was like, I wanted you to know personally. And we had this really touching call. Then, you know, we hung up the phone. I look out the back window of the house where I live at the farm field and I see a coyote moving through 
bare trees. And I at first was like, wow. And then it came back. And I realized that it was actually trapped inside the farm fence. And what this poor coyote was doing was kind of coursing back and forth along the fence. And every time the coyote got to the edge of the trees, you know, this poor dog would hear the the sounds of the road and the cars and get all agitated and, of course, turn and go back to the other side. And so I watched this all morning on the first day and I was like starting to become so agitated because I could tell the animal was unsettled, you know. So it was just this whole ordeal for three days and it completely consumed me. I couldn't do anything but just watch this poor animal hoping that um, the dog would would somehow get out, you know, because it was cold and it was winter. And So we need to know what happened. Basically, I have all these gates open. (laughs) Finally, on the third day, I tried to walk the farm field again to to sort of usher the coyote toward the open gate. And the animal bolted to the far northern part of the field. And interestingly enough, Todd, there was an incoming storm, winter storm the next day. And you know how they say some animals can kind of sense the weather changing? I wonder if this maybe did something, but... I think the coyote found a place near the fence and dug under the snow and slipped out under the farm fence because I found a spot that looked like the dog might have gotten out that way. And so on the third day, at the end of the third day, I was fairly certain that the coyote had escaped. But of course, this poem I wrote titled The Coyote is, of course, dedicated to my former girlfriend who passed away. And, and, and I, I just have four S which is something that I've I've often seen in poems, you know, a sort of kind of uh, to hold that intimacy of, of, of who it's, you know, being for someone. But what's interesting is that the poem is really just about this trapped coyote. And yet I only saw this coyote the moment I hung up the phone with um, my girlfriend's mother. And I, I have to say, Todd, that this coyote being trapped here for three days, I mean, to be honest, Todd, it felt like a visitation of sorts. I mean, there was some, there was an energy around it that I can't quite explain. And, you know, again, we're back to the ineffable, right? The human experience. The coyote. The coyote appeared inside the fence line, closed in. It was cold. Fourteen. She coursed back and forth. All day long, her ears pointed toward the road. I opened the gate to the north felt the cold, saw her tracks back and forth, the spot in the snow where she dug for ground, near where I opened the north gate, give room for her to go under or around. The dry, cold snow and the frozen ground must give pressure to escape, run far, but the space is tight both under and around, and she's frantic now, my having chased her. I wanted her to be free, to watch from afar, her ears tucked back as she forgot the road. It's near dark, though, and I can barely see her, or the fence gate. I hope the wind doesn't close. So it's been two years. Um, As you read that poem again, David, uh, even Mm -hmm. when you read it out loud, um, are there new thoughts that emerge, or as the poet... I think, again, the mystery and the energy of of the whole confluence of of the events around 
this coyote getting trapped, you know, it, it was just like, you know, it almost seems too spot on, but it, it's interesting that this experience with the coyote was really partly processing the grief, right? Maybe that's me putting that onto the world around me. Maybe that is the energy of, of the ineffable in, in our lives. I don't know, <laughs> but at least, at least I feel as though the poem helped me process, right? The grief. And maybe that's part of the magic of what a poem can do. David Cruz has lived, worked, and created poetry in the North Country and the Northeast as a writer of place, and he shares a poem with us each season. He's the author of Wander Thrush, lyric essays of the Adirondacks and High Peaks, and these days he's living in Vermont, working on a farm, reconnecting with the land, and writing poetry. And we've got a link to his website. You can check out some of his latest projects on his website. You'll find the link at ncpr.org. That's it for Northern Light. Morning Edition continues in just a minute. Then stick around this afternoon for String Fever with Barb Heller. It's her holiday special, an annual tradition here at NCPR. Feel the warmth of the season with host Barb Heller and two hours of acoustic holiday music. That's from 3 to 5 this afternoon right here on North Country Public Radio. Then join us later this evening for the Crane Candlelight Concert 2023. It's a selection of holiday music from the annual Crane School of Music Concert at SUNY Potsdam. This year with a world premiere of a piece written by a 2019 SUNY Potsdam graduate. You can listen to the Crane Candlelight Concert this evening starting at 9 o'clock only here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Moe. Winter Solstice tonight, 1027. Thanks for joining us. Be well.